Welcome to the Acknowledged Dogs Podcast. I am your host, Michael Aceta, founder of Matador Canine Brilliance, author of the Dog Training Cheat Codes, and trainer of over 12,000 dogs. It is important on how you train your dog, and that's the whole point of this episode. We're going to go over three of the main topics that I talk about in the Dog Training Cheat Codes. You get a little sneak peek into the book. Throughout this episode, I do mention the Dog Training Cheat Codes being available, and that offer is still on the table. Make sure you take advantage of it at matadorcanine.com slash cheat codes, matadorcanine.com slash cheat codes. We go over three of the biggest topics discussed in the book, as well as some Q&A. So stay tuned, grab a pen and paper, and take notes. Thank you for listening. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Welcome. My name is Michael Aceta. I'm a professional dog trainer. I've worked with thousands and thousands of dogs, and today we're going to be talking about cheat codes. What are cheat codes? Maybe you saw it in the beginning. They're dog training cheat codes. These are things that if you implement them correctly, you'll actually save yourself a lot of time and heartache and struggle with your dog. Now I'm going to go over three out of the nine cheat codes that I wrote about in the dog training cheat codes. This is a book I wrote to help dog owners and trainers reach a new level with their dog. Fast results and reliable dogs. That's what it's all about. Using effective training methods. So I'm going to go over three, so make sure you stay tuned, grab a pen and paper. But before we jump into those three, I want to tell you a short little story. It's my story. It's how I got into dog training, and it's how I ended up writing this book and why I think it's so important. Now, I didn't grow up with dogs. I didn't grow up having a dog in the house. The closest thing I had was my grandmother's dog, and I don't even have that many memories of seeing my grandmother's dog. So I really didn't have much to go off of when I did want a dog. I was 14 years old. I said, you know what? I really want a dog. I don't know anything about psychology. I don't know anything about dogs. I don't know anything about training or habit building, but I'm 14 years old and I really wanted a dog. So first thing I did is I asked my mom and dad, I said, Hey, can I get a dog? They said, no. My siblings, of course, had tried when they were younger. So my parents were steadfast on this. Remember, I got three older siblings. The oldest one is 10 years my senior, which means my parents had 10 years of good practice of being like, no, 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 it ain't happening. We're not getting a dog, not in this house. You can do it when you move out. So I had all of that to go against, but I really wanted a dog. So the only thing that I knew how to do was to go learn. So instead of just giving up and saying, all right, I'm never going to have a dog or I'll wait until I move out. I said, hey, if I could convince you that I know enough about dogs, will you let me have one? Can I have a dog you know, and I'll take care of it. I promise I'll take care of it. I'll even get a job to pay for vet bills and food and all that. And they said, sure. You know, just agreeing with me to, to shut me up, basically. So I started learning. I dived into YouTube. I dived into Google. How do you train your dog? How do you stop your dog from barking? How do you stop your dog from eating poop? How do you teach your dog to sit? What is basic obedience? What is advanced obedience, right? And I'm searching all of this stuff up, and I'm trying to get as much information as I possibly can. Again, this is 14 years old. This is 10 years ago. I'm like, okay, I got to just, I got to just start getting this information as much as I can possibly get. And then I'll use it when I do get the dog. Every single day after school, during school, after, right? I was reading, I was trying to get enough information. I was staying up till three o'clock in the morning, watching YouTube videos. And after two years, I was able to convince my dad to let me bring a dog home. We bring a dog home, beautiful black lab named Breezy. She was nine months old. And little did I know that I knew nothing about dogs. After two years of research on the internet, after two years of diligent practice by myself, I knew nothing. 
I had no idea what I was supposed to do the second she came in. Well, do I start with crate training? I, I kind of know what crate training is and how I should be doing it, but what happens if a problem happens? Well, I kind of know what I should do, but I'm not certain. And because I was unsure, hello, welcome. Because I was unsure, I didn't, I didn't really do much, right? So I was like, okay, I'm just going to try this out, see if it works. If it didn't work, I don't know. If you guys are just jumping in now, make sure in the chat you put where you're from, what breed of dog that you have, and how many dogs that you have. And if you have any questions about dog training, I'm going to try to get to as many as I possibly can. But I'm telling the story about how I got into dogs, why I ended up writing the dog training cheat codes, and maybe it applies to you. Maybe you'll learn a little bit from me today, and that's my hope. That's my goal. So I bring this dog home. I have no idea what I'm doing, no clue, and I'm just trying to figure it out. You have probably been in this situation before. You don't know what to do with your dog. You're like, all right, I'm at, I'm at my wit's end here. Let me go to Google. Let me go to YouTube. So I start researching. I start reading more. I'm like, all right, well, you know, I had enough information to get the dog. Do I need more information to own a dog? Absolutely. So I start studying, and I start trying to figure it out on my own once again. I get the same response over and over and over again. I keep watching the same thing over and over again, trying to gather some information. And maybe you've been in this. Thank you from Denver. Awesome. Two Border Collies, Aussie, and a Husky Dalmatian. That's a, that's an interesting one. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I get the same kind of mantra over and over again, and you've probably heard this before. If you know where it's from, put it in the chat. Exercise, discipline, and then affection. Exercise, discipline, and then affection. I hear that constantly. Exercise, discipline, affection. Exercise, discipline, affection. Exercise, discipline, affection. So I'm like, okay, well, why don't I try that? I'll exercise the hell out of my dog, and then I'll discipline her. I'll teach her what not to do, and then I can give her some love. The sad part was I really never got to the love part. I was too tired from exercising her, and I felt bad after disciplining her. And I, I was like, well, I want to give you affection, but I don't think you want it. So what do I do? Oh, my God, what do I do? So I ended up running her. Two miles in the morning, two miles in the afternoon, and two miles at dinner. Constantly working her out because I didn't want my family to kick my dog out. Again, I'm 16 years old when I get this dog. I'm the responsibility for this dog. It cannot have any problems because I don't have the money to fix the problems that it's going to create. Can't chew up on the couch. It can't bite anybody. Can't have it. So I just tire her out. And you may have been in this position. You're like, oh my God, my dog's behavior is so bad. I don't know what to do but burn their energy. If I burn their energy, at least they won't cause a problem. And that does help. It does help a little bit. But it doesn't solve the problem. Woo, Toronto, Husky, awesome. It doesn't solve the problem, right? All I did was prolong the issue. So I said, well, the first step was exercise. I got that down. I'm burning as much energy as possible. Let me move into the discipline part. So I start, I start learning about training. So I get a slip lead at the time. I'm trying to teach her how to sit. I'm trying to teach her how to down. And she's getting it, but I got to use a lot of pressure to get her to do these things. At the time, again, this is years ago. I don't know what I'm doing. I have limited resources. Nobody around me knew dogs. Nobody around me liked dogs. I'm, I'm, I'm at the mercy of the internet. So I'm learning as much as I can, and, and none of the information there is really helping me. Fast forward a couple of months. My sister has a friend who ends up going to college for dog training. I'm like, oh my God, that's got to be awesome. I didn't know what I was going to do after high school. So I said, I'm going to go do that. So I, I passed my dog off to my parents. I said, hey, can you take care of her for the next four years while I go off to college? They say, sure, I guess. <laughs> I head up to college, and I'm fascinated at the fact that nothing that I learned over the two, two and a half years of my studying, none of it 
was really covered in my college courses. And I'd be like, what? Yeah, it's because all the information I had was bad. I spent two and a half years studying bad information, bad habits. So I took that part of my brain and I threw it out. I said, I'm going to get rid of it and I'm going to absorb this new stuff. So I ignore, uh, I take in all of the new stuff from professors in genetics. People have been training police dogs for decades. Individuals who are tasked with going to fighting rings, the raids of fighting rings, and determining where a dog is on a spectrum of how much help it needs versus can it be adopted right now. So I've started learning from these people who have spent, you know, 90% of their life studying dog training. I have the opportunity to learn from these individuals. I'm like, oh my God, that's crazy. That's insane. That's awesome. So I'm taking in all this information. I graduate in three years, take all this information, I go to an internship. At the internship, I spend over 600 hours underneath professional service dog trainers for guide work. And again, I'm taking in all this information. I'm taking a little bit here, a little bit there. All of the good stuff that I see and sometimes the bad stuff, I'll take in, analyze, and see if there's any way I can make it better because now I have the principles and the knowledge from my college. right? All of that good information. And I don't see any of this on YouTube, on Google. It's very difficult to understand scientific papers if you've never written them before. So while I'm getting this good information from trainers, I'm trying to then expand on my knowledge at home and I'm unable to do it. So now I got to be around these trainers constantly. So that's what I do. I end up going early to my internship and staying a little bit later, trying to get all of the information, trying to suck out the, the mind of these individuals, these trainers who have spent decades doing it. Thousands and thousands of hours training every dog every year. Right? If they spend 10,000 hours training every year, my God, over the past couple of decades, all the information that I could take from them, astronomical. So that's what I do. I take this information. I put it in the back of my brain. I start writing notes. I start taking everything down as best as I possibly can to keep this information. And I'm not finding it on YouTube, on Google, not on social media, definitely. There's just, there's, the, the, the space is too small. How am I supposed to get enough information from a TikTok video? The space is way too small. So instead, I surround myself with individuals that have this information. I then move out of that internship into a job where I worked at a facility. Now, this facility was great on what its goal was. Burn dogs' energy, keep them happy and healthy, solve some problem behaviors, and work on ailment dogs. Those were kind of the four main things that we did at this facility. But there were things that I had learned over my four-year college degree and this internship that we did not apply at this facility. I was like, why aren't we doing that? And he said, well, this was the owner of the company. He said, well... If you want to take the time to explain the amount of knowledge that you have to somebody, be my guest, but I'm not going to waste my time. What? You're telling me that you are actually withholding information that is vital to their success. I don't know why he said to do that. I don't know why that was his goal. My goal is to give you as much information as possible, give my clients as much information as possible so that they can make informed training decisions. So that they can take what is useful and effectively apply it. If I give them too much information, oh, get rid of that part. We'll cover it later. And that sometimes happens. I'll give them three or four points and they go, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to take that one. I'm going to take that one nugget and I'm going to apply it over the next week. And then when I meet with you next week, maybe you can give me that second nugget. And so what ends up happening for me 
is I look at the industry as a whole, and I, I know that trainers are doing certain things. They're picking pieces out of their decades of practice. And they're picking things, and they're holding them to themselves. You can almost call it gatekeeping. I, I believe that's what people call it, the term gatekeeping. They hold on to this information, and they're like, okay, I got it. And if I'm the only one that knows this, people will come to me so I can give it to them. I don't want to do that. That seems wrong. I want to give you all the information so that you can have all the information. And maybe one day I won't have a job. <laughs> all right? Maybe one day you'll train me. But this is what happens. If I give you information and you ask really good questions, now I take that information and I have to excel upon it. I have to expand it. I have to get more knowledge, which means I have to get better at digging through all the garbage on the internet to find the good stuff. So through all of that, through all of that, I came up with nine cheat codes and I wrote them down in the dog training cheat codes. If you don't have your copy of the dog training cheat codes, you absolutely need to get it. There are nine essential cheat codes that if you implement, if you implement, you will see dramatic results. Professional trainers use these cheat codes and they don't even know it and they don't even teach it. I have no idea why they don't teach it, but it's absolutely essential if you have those cheat codes. The link is in the bio, matadork9.com slash cheat codes, matadork9.com slash cheat codes. But today I want to talk about three of them. My goal is for you to walk away with this and start implementing these three right away. If you start implementing these tonight, if you're, if you're on the uh, West Coast and it's only 6 o'clock for you right now, dinner time is right now. You should do these. You should implement these right now, tonight. If it's 9 o'clock where you are and you're on the East Coast, tomorrow morning, start to implement these, okay? So we're going to jump into the first one. I'm not going to give you all three right away. I don't want to overwhelm you and have you thinking about the last one when we're talking about the first one. So let's just jump into the first one, okay? The first cheat code is keep a training notebook. I wrote them down here because I got some notes here. Don't think that I don't know them. I know them. <laughs> but the cheat codes, okay? First one, keep a training notebook. Keep a training notebook. Why is this so vital? I have seen countless, countless individuals not progress with their dog because they're not keeping an accurate representation of what they need to do with their dog. So if Monday we worked on heel work, but then on Tuesday, I got busy. I didn't train with my dog. We did something real quick. We didn't do nothing crazy. And then on Wednesday, I go back to work with my dog on heel work. What happens if I repeat what I did on Monday? Well, I'm not progressing. I've just wasted time. I'm not a time waster. I like to be efficient and effective. So every single time I train with my dog, I want to get marginally better. Marginally better. Not a little bit better. Marginally better. So I can record it. And that way I can be effective and move quicker through my training process. I don't want to spend forever stuck on one thing, and I don't think other people do either. I was once working with a client who had seen another trainer for six or nine months and still couldn't get the dog to down. In three sessions, we were able to get the dog to down. Now, mind you, this dog did not want to down. But why spend nine months trying to teach a dog a down? All we had to do was implement the right things in the right way dog down in three weeks and we met once a week there was just a few things we had to tweak a few things we had to try and the other trainer didn't tell the client hey you should be writing notes because she had tried the same thing over and over and over and when we started talking about it i asked her i said hey have you tried this she goes yeah we, we we've tried that a while okay well did you try this yeah yeah we did that so i kept asking did you try this did you try this did you try that and because she tried all of these things I knew there was only a few select things that we could try 
And we had to make those things as effective as possible. Otherwise, the dog would learn not to do those things. And if they learn to not do those things, now we're running out of options. So we did eventually get the dog to down, and it loved doing it after that. It just had a weird issue with its back. It would do the bow, and it just wouldn't, it wouldn't go down. But we figured it out, okay? <laughs> That's my point. And it's all because if she had written notes and said, oh, we tried that, then when she went to go try it three months later, she would have known, oh, well, I've already tried that. Let me cross that out. Right? Oh, I've already tried that option. Let's cross it out. And that was the first thing that we did objectively. And that's number one, actually, about keeping notes. You have to be objective. If you're taking notes, write this down. Keeping notes. The first part about keeping notes, they have to be objective. They cannot be notes that are just all over the place and how you feel. And, oh, well, I think the session went great. Oh, I think my dog did great. No, they have to be objective. You have to have a scientific mind when you go into training your dog and taking notes. How long did you take notes? Uh, I'm sorry. How long did you train your dog for? How many treats did you use? How many repetitions did you use? If you're working on duration, how long was they doing a behavior, right? How long did they do a sit? How long did they do a down? And you want to extrapolate on that, expand on it to the point where it's in depth. It is as clear as crystal Pepsi. If someone else saw your notes, they would know exactly what you're talking about. I tend to use big words sometimes. Sometimes I use big words that have to then be defined later on. Or I use a big word because I'm excited about using the big word. And in six months, when I go back to look through my notes, I don't remember what the word is. Now i got to go look it up again. So maybe that's not the best practice. And that brings me to point two. It has to be simple. Your notes have to be simple. If they're not simple, you're not going to do them. If, it, if you have a complex system, you're not going to use it. One of my favorite note-taking systems was developed by, I believe, Harvard. Harvard. Yeah, Harvard. And it, it breaks the page down into three giant chunks. One has a summary, one has some good information, and then there's like side notes on the side. That's how I break up my notes, because it's accustomed to me. That's what I did in high school, that's what I did in college, and that's what I do now. But if that's too complex for you, maybe that's not the way to do it. But you should have some type of system, and it should be simple to use, very easy. I go in, boom, I write a big summary of what we did. And then maybe I write a couple key points that I want to focus on next time. And then I write an action plan for the next session. And that brings me to point number three. Point number three is you have to be able to prep yourself for the next session. So if I train on Monday and I don't have time to train until Tuesday of next week, I've gone eight days now, Tuesday of next week, I have to be able to look back at my notes and quickly jump into my section. Right? I quickly jump into it if I don't have time to read the entire note. This will help make sure that I'm in the right mindset when I get to that training session, as well as prime me for what I actually need to be doing. If I have to sit there and read the whole thing, okay, well, this is what I did, this is what I did, now what should I do? And I'm thinking about it, I'm wasting time that I might not have on that Tuesday, and I'm prolonging working with my dog. And maybe I'm thinking of something different now where I interpret the notes differently than I meant to or meant to write back on Monday. So, it should be objective, organized, objective, data-driven notes. It should be simple to use. Simple. Super, super simple to use. And then, and only then, it should have a summary so that you can easily jump into your next session. If you guys like what I'm talking about today, please put it in the chat what you like, what you have questions on. If you have questions about note-taking, I want to answer them. Questions about note-taking, put it in the chat. I'll give you a second. While I have some water.
Good. Maybe you can start taking notes for my dogs. Good. Good. You should take notes for your dogs. That's the first cheat code. The first cheat code. Lucas and pause. Lucas, do you have your copy of the dog training cheat codes? Do you have your copy of it? I'm going to guess not because you didn't know. Especially those ones I get to come from the trainers. We're stuck. Yeah. You got to have notes. I have notes for all my things. My notes is in my car, but you got to have notes for everything. What's your favorite chapter? My favorite chapter is actually the next topic. The next topic, which we're going to cover in a second. Negative, not yet. Well, go click the link in the bio. It's on sale tonight, $15.99. It's probably going to go up to $25 tomorrow, maybe. We'll see. Yeah, I think I would put it back to $25. It was at $25. It's on sale right now for $15.99, so go check it out. Not at orcanine.com slash cheat codes. The link is in the bio. Okay, so we're going to jump into number two. What's my favorite chapter? It's my favorite chapter. Once I'm done moving you, let me see what my... Good, good. <laughs> the phone's not. App is filled with my dog stuff. Oh, good, good. Well, the Note app works, and I actually I do talk about it in the dog training cheat codes about getting something out of your brain and down, but it's always good to have a physical. And the reason I like the physical is because I can hold it. It's tangible, just like why I have the book and not the ebook version. I mean, I wrote the book. That's why I have the book. But I recommend people to get the actual book and not the ebook because it's there, right? I can just I can have it on my desk. It's right there. I can remember to use it. If it's in the notes, I tend to forget those things. Got stuff to talk about for our next session. Good. I used to take notes, but I guess my type of training has changed over the years. And sometimes, sometimes we get to a point, I used to do this when I did martial arts, I would take notes in the beginning, and we get to a point where we're like, ah, yeah, I know what I'm going to write. I know what it is. Let me just keep going. But now that I haven't done martial arts in eight, nine years, I wish I had those notes of the later years where things got harder, where I became a black belt. Like, I wish I had the notes for that, because then I could go back and look at it. Okay, it's my favorite chapter. The second cheat code I'm going to talk about today, it's all just behavior. It's all just behavior. What does that mean? Anything your dog is going through, anything clients' dogs are going through, it's just behavior. Sometimes we think about it so much that we overanalyze what's going on, why it's happening, what's this, what's that. There's only five influences of behavior. And if we just ignore those for a second, just for a second, and you look at what's going on, it's either reinforced or it's being punished. That's it. Behavior is always being reinforced or it's being punished. For example, I was working with a dog that had aggressive issues. Massively aggressive, resource guarding kids' toys. That's a problem for kids, and that's a problem for the dog because it's not going to have a home in a minute. right? So... It had a problem resource guarding. The owner was terrified to work with this dog. Absolutely terrified. And I said, let me ask you. Are you terrified that you're going to get bit? Or are you terrified that you don't know how to solve the problem? And she said, well, I don't want to get bit, and I'm unsure of how to solve the problem. And I said, well, if your dog was doing something you didn't want, what would you do? And she said, I would probably distract him. I said, okay, have you tried that? And she goes, no, I'm too scared. Like, I don't want to ruin anything. I don't want to mess anything up. I said, okay, why don't we just say his name? His name was Frankie. He's a cute little thing, but vicious. His name was Frankie. And she said, well, what do I do? What do I do? I said, what do you always do? She said, well, I just call his name, and he comes over. I said, okay, call his name. She called his name. Sure enough, he jumped right up, ran over to her. She got a piece of cheese out, gave it to him. He stopped resource guarding right then and there. But because she was overthinking it, she was like, oh, my God. 
you know, I, I don't know what to do. What am I going to do with this dog? It's going to bite me. Uh, what about my kids? I don't know. Am I going to rehome the dog? Behavior is just behavior. It'll be reinforced and punished always. It'll always be reinforced and punished. So in this case, that resource guarding, well, he, he could have been lifting his leg and peeing on the toy. If people stayed away from the toy and that's what he wanted, it got reinforced, good. Super simple. So what about mistakes made with children? What do you mean mistakes made with children? Mistakes made with children. Reinforcement is the key to your dog's behavior? Absolutely. Children I find to be extremely unreliable. With children and the resource guarding, you mean? So in that case, they had older kids, so it was a little easier, but there's a lot of management you got to do in that situation. Uh, I mean, kids, it's all just behavior too. All they want is the toy. If they were to reach for it, they're going to get punished for reaching for the toy and they're going to get bit. However, if it's so reinforcing that they keep going for the toy even after getting bit, which sometimes happens, then we have to change what's reinforcing it. I'm actually going to talk about that in a second. Yes, the kids are, do not understand the actual danger involved. Absolutely. My son doesn't get bit by my cat, but my cat will like, ah, like mouth him a little bit, and my son keeps keep going right back at it. And that's exactly what I'm saying, right? So there's a level of reinforcement that outweighs the punishment, which is why positive reinforcement is so strong. Yeah, they do risky things because they're like, okay, well, I, I know if I just get there fast enough, I can get my reinforcement, and that's all I want. I don't care about anything else. I want my, I want my toy. So what we need to teach is the next part. What is causing this? What is causing the behavior? Once we understand, okay, it's a behavior. I know how to solve it. I know that it's being reinforced or it's being punished by something. Okay, what is causing it? What's setting off this chain? In the case of the dog resource guarding, it was the toy on the floor. So a simple answer would be, okay, never put the toy on the floor. Or can I teach the dog that when the toy is on the floor, it means to do something else? Same thing with kids. Oh, you want your toy, but the dog's in the way. That's a contingency factor. Can I teach my kids that when the dog is in the way, the first thing they should do is get the dog to go away, get a piece of cheese, and then they can get their toy. But oftentimes we don't teach those things. We just get mad afterwards. Oh, why'd you do that? Maybe because we don't see it. But what if we set it up? We set up these behaviors to intentionally not get our kids bit, but teach our kids what we need them to do and teach the dog what they need to do. Now, the other part of this, and what I would prefer to do, is I'm going to teach my dog or their dog when a kid approaches to walk away. That is much easier than trying to teach a kid to do something right. Because kids have complex emotions and dogs are much easier. I'm going to teach the dog that when the kids walk in, if they move away, the kid might move away. Or if the dog moves away, I can then call them and give them cheese, whatever it may be. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create some kind of situation that's beneficial for everybody involved, but it's because we understand that behavior is either getting reinforced or punished, and we understand that whatever's causing the behavior in the beginning can actually trigger something else. This is the third part. Can I change it? Can I change the behavior if I don't like it? Absolutely. All we have to do is teach a new response to the stimulus. Stimulus is a person coming up. Dog growls. The person goes away. So instead, person comes up. The dog goes, ooh, I love people. I get my cheese, right? All we got to do is change that. And then it's easy. Questions on that? Anybody? Questions on that? Put it into the comment. If you're just joining us, tell me where you're from. 
what dog breed you have, how many dogs you have, and if you have questions about dog training, I want to answer them. Also, if you have not gotten your copy of the dog training cheat codes, head over to the link in the bio, matadorcanine.com slash cheat codes, matadorcanine.com slash cheat codes. It's just $15.99 for nine, nine essential cheat codes that will help improve your dog's reliability, get you fast results if you're having problem behaviors, and generally help you with any dog behavior, basically. Yeah. <laughs> what about resource guarding against other dogs? Okay, one second. Let me have my thing. Canada. I have a, an interesting amount of clients from Canada. I, I, I love Canada. I've only been to Canada once. I uh, illegally canoed in there and I back out by accident. But... I have an interesting amount of clients from Canada. Okay, so I'm going to jump into those two questions, and then we're going to get to the third cheat code for the night. What about resource guarding against other dogs? It's so much easier to handle resource guarding with people and dogs. But resource guarding when it comes to dog and dog requires, more often than not, two people to handle one dog and one dog. So you have it's kind of divided a little bit. Now, the goal is to, once again, right, if we go back, it's just behavior. It's just behavior. Get that into your mindset. It's all just behavior. First thing we have to do, can I reinforce or punish it? My goal is always to figure out what's reinforcing and what's punishing it, and then move into what is causing this? What is causing the behavior to be triggered? Not how does my dog feel about it? And Yes, those are important in some cases, but what is causing the behavior to start right now? Is it the presence of the other dog? Great. I've checked that off. It's the presence of the other dog. Can I change the behavior my dog is currently doing and still give them the reinforcement or still give them the punishment, whatever, you know, however we're working it out. So if, if I'm resource guarding, I'm a, I'm a German Shepherd, I'm resource guarding, and a Malinois comes over to steal my item, the, the Malinois is the causation of my resource guarding and my reinforcement is the Malinois leaving. So what can I change? Can I change the way that this German Shepherd gets the dog to leave? Yes. And that would be the goal. So you'd have to set it up where the dog does something different in order to get the Malinois to leave. And then, oh, cool. Or teach the dog that the Malinois does not have a problem with you eating your food and will not try to steal your food or will not try to steal your toy, whatever it may be. So we have to figure that out first. What is causing... Sorry. What is reinforcing? What is punishing? What is causing... And then, can I change it? Can I change it? Second question. How do you re words? <laughs> how do you address self-reinforcing behaviors? Self-reinforcing behaviors can still fall into that same category. It's all just behavior. Take, for example, going to the bathroom. Okay? Marking. What is reinforcing and what is punishing? In this case, it's reinforcing. So my dog is being reinforced for peeing on the flagpole. What is causing it? Well, the flagpole, definitely, right? The smell of going to the bathroom. So that would be one solution. Just don't bring them to that flagpole. Could I add in something else to teach them to do it? Could I say, go mark? Now I would tell them, this is kind of advanced, but I could say, go mark, and they'll actually go mark, and then come back in order to get a reward. So now I can reward it. And I've changed, it's that third part, I've changed what's causing it, and I won't reward on top of that self-reinforcement level. I won't reward on top of it if they mark anywhere else without me asking for it. It's very advanced. It can be implemented 
wrong. So make sure you fully understand that before you do it. I mentioned it a little bit in the dog training cheat codes, but I will be coming out with another book, uh, probably about self-reinforcement behaviors and the sequence of how those go together. We want to talk about the term domesticated and how people should view it. Domesticated, definition-wise, I'm going to I'm going to look up the term domesticated just to, so we can find the definition of an animal tame and kept as a pet or on a farm or a plant cultivated for food and neutralized. I'm not sure what you mean by the term domesticated. We just remove problem toys. That's one way to do it. Breed specific? Nope, not breed specific because breed specific specification would actually fall into one of the five influences behavior. Ooh, all right, I'm giving you I'm giving you a bonus here, okay? I'm going to give you a bonus here. We're talking about the five influences of behavior. Five influences of behavior are as follows. Write this down if you're taking notes. Write this down if you're taking notes. Genetics, chemistry, health, early experiences, and adult learning. Those are the five. Genetics, chemistry, health, early experiences, adult learning. So when we talk about breed specification, most people just jump that into genetics. And yes, there are genetics involved, but genetics can be very wide when it comes to each breed specifically. So a Malinois, historically, is very all bubbly and energetic. But just because it's a Malinois doesn't mean that. Just because it has the genetics of a high-energy Malinois means that. right? I have met Malinois who are very mellow and pit bulls who are insane. I would call them a Malinois. But we get too relaxed and casual. Like, oh, well, you have a Malinois. It must be crazy. And you're just maybe joking about it, but people take it serious. They go, yeah, I got a crazy Malinois, just because I have a Malinois. I was working with a guy, I'll tell you a quick story. I was working with a guy who had a Malinois, and he was dressed to the nines as a tactical aficionado. Sorry, I get distracted by a bug. <laughs> just, just like a dog. I'm like, whoa, what's going on? So, dressed to the nines in tactical aficionado, like just boom was not in the military. I asked him, I was like, oh, were you in the military? I wanted to thank you for your service. And he goes, oh, no, I, I would never do that. I just liked the, whatever. So I was like, okay. So we're trying to work with the dog. And I said, so what's going on? What, what's happening with the dog that you want to fix? And he said, she's too damn shy. It was a pure Malinois. Too damn shy. And she was ears pinned back, wanted nothing to do with anything, terrified of the environment we were in. And I said, hey, listen, you know, it's okay that she's like this, we got to bring up her confidence first if you want her to do what you want her to do. And I said, well, what's her favorite toy? And she said, this right here. And it was a, a tug toy. Hold on. It was like this. Okay. This is what he pulled out of his pocket. And so I said, oh, great. That's awesome. I'm, I'm glad we have her favorite toy. Why don't you try to jazz her up, get her excited, and then we'll see if we can do a little bit of agility, just get her to over a jump or something. And when we do that, we'll reward all that good confidence. Like, let's try it. She didn't care about the tug. Not because she was afraid, because I could tell the difference. I said if she really wanted to but was afraid, she'd look at it like, oh, I want to do it, but I don't know what to do. No, instead, she looked at the tug toy and then looked away. Completely disengaged, wanted nothing to do with that tug toy. You want to know why? Because it was the owner's favorite toy. He wanted her to use it. But the genetics that he wanted out of the dog just weren't there. They just weren't there. Now all we can use is one-fifth out of the influence of behavior, which is adult learning. 
How can we build up her motivation by rewarding her for being a little more driven? Not drive, but driven, motivated to get there. I think I missed some questions here. Domesticated influence people to humanize their dogs. Yes. Yes, I see what you mean. Yes. Okay. We just got a puppy and our lab has had aggression issues with him twice now. How should we go about it? I can't necessarily give you aggressive issue advice because I don't know exactly the situation you're in. But if you head over to matadorcanine.com slash uh, six week coaching or uh, yeah, click that. And then there's a button about a discovery call. We can go over exactly what you need to do. I'll give you more one-on-one -on -one attention, but I don't want to give you advice without knowing everything uh, over TikTok. Husky Miss is super chill and really low. Yeah, so German Shepherd Husky Mix could be absolutely relaxed. The genetics just aren't there. Okay, so I've given you a little bit of a bonus with the five influences of behavior. Now we're going to jump into the third and final cheat code of the night. Third and final cheat code of the night. I learned this from my professor who has a genetic uh, doctorate. Unfortunately, he's not with us, and the Dog Training Cheat Codes is dedicated to him because a lot of what I learned in this book is from him directly, Dr. Stephen McKenzie, uh, and I'll actually read you the dedication. This book is dedicated to Doc. We called him Doc. Dr. Stephen McKenzie. You taught me that my biological purpose was to teach owners and train dogs to the best of my ability. On behalf of myself and all of your students and the countless owners and dogs you have helped through your teaching, Thank you for being generous with your knowledge, time, and heart. Dr. Stephen McKenzie, I love you. This is what he, he taught me. Excitement and focus are relative. Now, you might say, oh, well, I kind of knew that. You know, my dog's overly excited like they don't listen. Or they don't listen when we're outside. Yeah, but there's science behind it, okay? So I want to break down the science of it. If my dog is a couch potato over here, nothing going on. And I can bring them up to a level of excitement with cheese. They'll be perfectly focused. If I go too far, they'll come right back down and there's no focus on that side. This is what people refer to as an out-of-control Malinois most of the time. And this is over here like a bulldog. Okay, now of course I'm going against what I just said about the specifications. But here we're generalizing just for the picture. Okay, Excitement and focus are relative. Excitement and focus are relative. Start to think about that. Arousal versus drive. That is incorrect. You're gonna, you guys are going to make me talk about drives. Drives do not exist. Focus and excitement exist, and they can be measured. Drive does not exist. So, if I had a dog that wasn't responding well, and I can excite them just enough, I can get a response out of them. Now I can reward that action, that behavior, at the level of excitement it happened. If I do that often enough, yes, the Yerkes Dotson Law, that's absolutely correct. Very good. Have you been listening to my, my podcast, the Acknowledged Dogs podcast, because I talk about it? Yes, Yerkes Dotson. So that excitement and focus are relative. If I can get my dog excited enough, then they'll focus. If I can't get them excited enough, they won't focus. This also goes about stress. So, hey, Jarwin, yes, awesome, <laughs> awesome. This is one of my clients, everybody. Jarwin's doing absolutely fantastic, absolutely fantastic. I love getting videos from them. I love seeing their progress. Put it up in the chat, like a thumbs up or something for Jarwin. He's doing absolutely awesome. Good thing he's only 13 pounds, right? So, 
What we have is a dog that maybe is stressed out. So if they're stressed out, again, that focus is going to be all over the place. NBA player can't make free throws. Yeah, if their level of excitement is too much. Right? So if we keep getting off track as we're talking, <laughs> it's not your fault. Please, please keep putting things in the chat. I just have to not read it. So if my dog is stressed, that is also a form of that excitement. So if I, my dog is too stressed, they're not going to be able to focus. If they're not stressed enough, meaning they're not in a situation where they feel they must do something, then they're not going to do it. Think about it like this. If I always had a bowl of food out, always had a bowl of food out, and my dog's like, all right, like right, I'm not going to work for anything because there's always food there. So then what happens? If there's not enough stress just to eat, just to have a snack, and I'm not saying starve your dogs by any means. Please do not starve your dog. But if there's no internal motivation to go get food, they're not going to do it. Now, transversely, okay, if a dog has a desire to get dopamine and they understand the level of dopamine they can get from doing the behaviors because you use marker training and you've classically conditioned it, you build a really strong association, you can actually get rid of all the other rewards and the dopamine will still be present. And that can immediately bring them up to that perfect point of focus in the Yerkes-Dotson law, right? That excitement. Now, when it comes to excitement and focus being relative, I talk about in the book how we can actually teach them to be independent. So we can teach excitement to be on cue, and we can teach focus to be on cue. So if my dog is relaxing on a couch and I say his name, he's going to pop up and look at me. I'm going to then mark and I can give him a treat. What did I teach him? You know, when you're relaxed in this calm mental state down here, I can immediately bring you up to that perfect point of focus by saying your name. Now, if he's relaxed and I go, oh my goodness, what do you do? And I start acting crazy, I've taught him to stay relaxed. How do I do that? How, how do I teach my dog to turn it on and off, right? Almost at will. Because I need him to be relaxed when my two-year-old is running around. I need him to be relaxed when I'm rushing around in the house because there's a problem and you know, i got to grab the fire extinguisher whatever. I don't want my dog going crazy. So I'm going to practice those things so my dog is relaxed when he needs to be. But the second I ask him to do something that he knows how to do, he jumps right up into that perfect focus. One of the best ways you can do this is by playing and actively engaging. I actually posted a video yesterday. We were running around having a grand old time, getting all fun and exciting, and then I stopped and my dog immediately went into a sit. This teaches him how to think clearly when he's excited and when he's not excited. Every time I say his name or I tell him to do something, boom, does it immediately because he knows that that is the peak focus. I'm not going to push him too far where he can't focus, and I'm always going to reward him when he does it right. Questions. I want to answer all of your questions, everything that I've talked about today, right? The three. Remember it. Keep training notebook. Keep a training notebook with you all the time, constantly, every day. Keep a training notebook with you. It's all just behavior. Whatever is going on, it's all just behavior. Three, excitement and focus are relative. If your dog is not listening, they might not be excited enough, or they might be too stressed. If they're absolutely crazy, then they're too excited and we got to bring them down. That might mean putting a leash on and just sitting for 10 minutes. All right. 
What do we got question-wise? Yes, podcast, Acknowledge Dogs Podcast, Spotify, Apple, Google. There are a couple other ones like um, Stitcher, I think. Just go to matadorcanine.com slash podcasts. You'll bring the, the homepage of the podcast, and it has all of those links. So matadorcanine.com slash podcasts. matadorcanine.com slash podcasts. Do you talk about the survival hierarchy or Pavlov's hierarchy in dogs? Not necessarily. I would have to do a lot more uh, in-depth research on the survival hierarchy and Pavlov's hierarchy in dogs. I kind of look at it like this. If two dogs are good, they've probably figured out who's in charge. You know, when we have a problem is when one thinks they need to be one way and one thinks they need to be other way. For whatever reason. I feel like that applies to what you are speaking on. With the uh, influences of behavior, I think. Can't take notes and drive, so I keep re-listening. Oh. Where can I purchase your book? The link in the bio. MatadorK9.com slash cheat codes. MatadorK9.com slash cheat codes. And it is K9. MatadorK, the number 9.com slash cheat codes. Or you can just click the link in the bio, the dog training cheat codes. It's on sale right now, $15.99. It's a wonderful read. I often open this up and go, ooh. I don't remember writing that, but that was pretty damn good advice, okay? So I really wrote this book for me. Again, if you missed the story in the beginning, I wrote this book for me because I knew that there were things professional trainers did that I couldn't find. And the only way I could find them was by taking this information from being around useful people. And a majority of individuals out in the world are not around the people that I was. They did not have the luxury that I did. And I was one of those people that wished I had the information when I first got my dog. I would have done so many things different. I would have had training notebooks back then. I would have just thought about it as behavior instead of overthinking every possible thing I could have done with my dog. And then I would have focused on excitement and focus as, as related. Right. So that's just three out of the nine cheat codes I talk about in the book. Please take advantage of that book. And while it's on sale, it's going to jump up $10 by tomorrow. Um, you're so underrated. I wish more people listened to you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Are you, are you pet side or working side? Great question. <laughs> a lot of my work is with pet or companion dogs. However, I have a background in police dog training, aggression work, scent detection, tracking, and service dog work where I worked with uh, guide dogs and service dogs for veterans with PTSD. So I took all of that information, and to me, it's working the dog, right? So yes, people say, oh, well, it's a working dog. You have to behave differently. I don't behave differently around a working dog because the techniques that I use will work on every dog. I have yet to find a dog out of the 12,000 dogs I've worked with. I have yet to find a dog that the methods I use do not work on because I use positive reinforcement, because the mechanics that I use are efficient. I'll tell you a quick story in a second. I was working with uh, a client. This was back at a facility. Client comes in, and this was the first time she had met me. Okay, and she had this beautiful German Shepherd. Uh, yeah, German Shepherd. It was Dutch Shepherd, German Shepherd mix, I think. I want to say Dutch Shepherd, but I think it had German Shepherd. Anyway, so she comes in, and she wanted a specific trainer. Trainer she had worked with countless times. She wanted this trainer, and that trainer wasn't available. They had to go deal with something else. And I was the only other trainer available. So I introduced myself. I said, hi, nice to meet you. I'm Mike. I'll be working with you today. And she said, no, you won't. She said, you don't know my dog. 
My dog comes from a working line. You can't handle my dog. You're too young for my dog. You don't have enough experience for my dog. I said, okay, that's great, but you're stuck with me today, so let's jump onto it. And so we start doing our thing. And within five minutes, she told the other trainer who's across the facility, she goes, hey, I like this guy. Want to know why? Because the mechanics that I had worked better, better on a dog that was more biddable, had more motivation, wanted to work more. And it made it easier for her to do her job, which was, well, I want this dog to recall. Okay, great. But this is what happened. The dog would recall to her and leave. The dog would recall to me, sit and wait. What was the difference? I never told the dog that I had anything. What? How, how can you get a dog to recall and sit in front of you if they don't think you have anything? That was the point. The dog would come up to her, and because she didn't have a ball directly in front of her, and that was her routine, the dog thought, well, you don't have anything for me. I'm going to leave. But what I did was I hid the ball. I think I had a hood on, so I put it in my hood. came up to me. I counted. One, one thousand, two, one thousand, three, one thousand. Then I reached in and threw it. And so he came up and started to wait longer and longer and longer because he didn't know where the ball was going to come from. He just knew that my presence, my being, had a ball. This dog had a beautiful recall. Could 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 take off the, the first layer of grass on a field if it did a recall. It was beautiful. Oh, safety, shelter, food and water, social interaction, mental enrichment. Dopamine would beat out all of those things. And it's been proven time and time again. Dopamine would beat out all of those things. Um, you can look at drug addicts for that. Or dogs that uh, just love working over and over. They don't care about food. They don't care about water. Most of the time, people talk about working dogs doing that. Like, you have to be in control of your working dog. So if your dog is going to be searching for somebody out in a field, you want a dog that loves that like, rush of dopamine so much when it finds a person and its toy that it will forego water. It will forego its own safety. That's what people want out of a working dog. And so I don't necessarily think safety, shelter, food and water, social interaction, and mental enrichment are as beneficial as that level of dopamine. I think they're important. You should definitely enrich your dog with those things and give them shelter, safety, right? You should give your dog those things. But if we're talking about behaviors, if a dog really wants food and water, like my dogs, they'll stop drinking if I tell them to stop drinking. And that's because my dogs used to throw up because they would drink so much. We would do a lot of work, and then they would go, and then they would throw up, and I didn't want that. So after 15 licks, I'd say, that's enough. They'd pick their head up, I'd mark, I'd reward them, and then they could go back to drinking if they wanted to. If I hire you for the six-week program for my lab, will you throw in your book for free? Absolutely. Absolutely. Head over to matadorcanine.com slash coaching. Fill out the form. Actually, yeah, just book a session with me and put in there that I promised I would give you the book. You can have the book for free. And I'll throw in my training planner, my training planner for absolutely free. Do you help people train their dogs to be service animals? We can definitely talk about it. It depends on exactly what we're doing. When it comes to service animals, it's a tricky situation, so we'd have to discuss about it. Again, matadorcanine.com slash coaching. How do you know if a dog's aggression is due to fear, territorial, RG, or truly aggression? Not sure what you mean by RG, so I'm going to give you a second to write that out while I look at everything. Throughout practice, no matter what, safety has to be established first. Absolutely. Contact you in a month or two. Why wait a month or two, Jesse? What's going to be different in a month? The planner is amazing. Show us. I don't have it on me. It is in my car, and I don't want to go all the way out to my car. It's raining at the moment. But uh, what I talked about earlier, keeping the training notebook, I wrote the planner because 
There was no planner like it. There was there was there was nothing like it. You were just using a notebook, right? Just using this thing. That's not good. I gotta I gotta and again it goes back to it had to be simple. Maybe I do have a copy. Hold on. I do have a copy. Okay. So this is just an empty copy. My the one that I write in is in my uh, book. So you guys are getting a, a sneak preview here. Okay. So if I was taking notes in something like this, okay, this is blank. It says nothing on it. For me, if it has nothing on it, that means I have so much creativity. I could, I could write the title up here, right? I could do this. And what ends up happening is I think too much. That's not good enough for me. What I want is something simple, organized. Uh, what's the word? Objective. There we go. Objective, not subjective. And it's got to prep me for the next session. So I wrote this out. Okay. I'm going to show this to you. Okay. And you can get this as well at mattedarcanine.com uh, slash planner, I believe it's called. You can download this. And actually, I think I gave it away for free. Yeah, 100% free. You can get the plan. Okay, so this is the front training check-in. Called it the training check-in because it goes over how am I feeling? What date, location, and time am I doing this? Time since the last session. Training session goal. What is my goal for this training session? Then I have a checklist here. Okay, checklist. Do I have a positive attitude? Do I have my first aid kit? We were just talking about safety. Do I have my conditioned reinforcer, my clicker, my marker? Do I have my rewards with me? Do I have boots for my dog? Do I have boots for myself? Do I have the right equipment for what I'm about to be doing? I'm going to do tracking. I got to have a harness for my dog. I have a long leash for my dog. Do I have the toys? Do I have a backup plan or an exit strategy? You don't want to get into a situation where your dog's like, oh my God, I don't know. And then you got to book it. You don't want to get into that situation. So you got to have a plan for when that happens. How do you feel the session went? Now, this part is subjective because... The better you get at thinking afterwards, the better the notes are going to be. Oh, well, I think the session went really bad. Okay, why did it go bad? Oh, I think the session went really great. Okay, why did it go great? What can you do to make it a 10, right? So if, if it was a 7, I say, okay, what can you do to make it a 10? Oh, well, I could have prepped more. Great. Next training session, you look at this, you say, oh, I should have prepped more last time. Let me prep better this time. And then on this page is all about the notes. So what behavior am I teaching? What are the surroundings? What's the surface I'm working on? Very important if, again, you're doing tracking or you're doing detection. I got to know if I'm on gravel, if I'm on pavement, if I'm on blacktop, if I'm on metal, right? Sometimes you're climbing up on stuff. So we got to know those things. Also beneficial if your dog is nervous about tile or um, wood flooring, right? So those could be a little, little questionable. Then we have a criteria. What is my goal of training? What is my reinforcement that I used? How many repetitions did I do? And then remarks. So I might write, you know, two or three lines here, and then this whole page would be filled, and then maybe they'll go to here, and then I'll write something down here, and then it'll be filled again, okay? And then, most importantly, my session summary. How did the session go? What do I need to prime myself for next time? So then the next day, when I go to the next training session, all I got to do is look at this piece. All I got to do is look at this takes two seconds to read that, and I know exactly what I need to do in my next training session. Okay, now if you do download this, again, matadorcanine.com slash planner, matadorcanine.com slash planner. In the back of the book, I show you exactly what it should look like when you fill it out. So I kind of give you a little bit of a diagram and demonstration, and you get some definitions of certain things, 
and I put certain things that I want to remember in the back of the book. Again, I make a lot of things for me, and then I realize that they would be really beneficial if I share them. So then I share them. So that's this. But today we talked about the cheat codes, dog training cheat codes. Uh, don't stress it right now. It's a big topic. <laughs> yeah, very easy to take. Oh, RG. Okay, so you were talking about resource guarding. Okay, okay. Um, yes, consultations are free. MatadorK9.com slash six-week coaching. MatadorK9.com slash six-week coaching. We'll talk about it, and uh, we'll figure out what's going on. Variables. Thank you. What would you send me? Sent a plus? I don't know what that means. But thank you for that. I appreciate that. Okay, so let me go back to your question about... Okay, how do you know if a dog's aggressive due to fear, territorial, RG, or truly aggressive? So, depends on the situation, depends on what's going on. Fear-induced aggression, the biological purpose of fear-induced aggression is to get the thing to diminish or go away. So, when we talk about it's just behavior, what is being reinforced, what is being punished? If my dog, and the thing goes away, they got reinforced for that, good then they feel like they did a good job. The behavior gets reinforced. Now we can either punish them, which people would do, or we'd stop that reinforcement from happening, or we could teach our dog to do something different. I would teach a dog to do something different. Uh, territorial, very similar. Territorial is very, very similar. Person walks up to the house, dog barks, pers the person leaves. They get rewarded for it. All they want is the person to stay at that perimeter. If someone were to come into that perimeter and they were to give up, then it's not territorial aggression. Because they just, they want to protect that thing. Resource guarding is very similar. Now, resource guarding is measured by its severity based off the distance that the person can get to. So if I was resource guarding and you can only get 10 feet away from me, that's pretty bad. If you can get five feet, uh, five inches away from me, that's better. And it's very simple. If there's an object in the vicinity that my dog is guarding, then it's resource guarding. And truly aggressive, aggression is just behavior. So if, you know, if we were going to talk about fear-induced aggression, social aggression, uh, maternal aggression, resource guarding, pain-induced aggression. Pain-induced aggression is where something is in pain and so you're irritated and you act out of pain. If I had a problem with my tooth, anytime someone grabs my face to go, oh, hi, sweetheart, I would get pissed, right? Pain-induced aggression. And then we have idiopathic aggression. We don't know why it happens. It could be a chemical imbalance. It could be um, the poly-22A gene, which is found in some Malinois, which is a, uh, uh, it's a, it's an abnormal amount of a gene. It's basically a defect, and they stop thinking, which goes back to the Yurt-Stockson law with that overexcitement and that focus. So there's too much excitement, and they come back off the thing, and they can't focus. They can't think clearly. Their eyes roll back in their head, essentially. And then they just attack. That would be idiopathic. Many dogs do not have that. It's a very rare, rare thing. Yes, consultations. In my opinion, it doesn't really matter what you label you put on the aggression. It's just behavior. That's absolutely right. Good job, Lucas. So would my lab attacking my new puppy be the lab guarding his home? Not necessarily. Again, I can't say yes or no, but not necessarily. It could, it could be any one of those things. It could be... Uh, a learned behavior, which is unfortunate, and that happens. Meaning a learned behavior, it was rewarded on purpose at some point by something, right? It got rewarded. It could be fear. 
Could be territorial. Could be resource guarding. There's a bunch of different. But remember, just email me uh, and set up a consultation. We'll kind of go over in more depth about it. Uh, what tips do you have for separation anxiety? I can't be out of sight of my dog without them crying. Do you like Mike? I have heard of Mike. I have not listened to anything of Mike. I, I do want to dive in more on him. I've just been all over the place lately. Uh, separation anxiety. So separation anxiety really gets broken down into three parts. One, is my dog comfortable where they are? Can I? How comfortable can I get them where they are? Number two, how long can I leave and then come back? And number three, how can I set up the beginning and the end for success? So that big part at the end is what I'm going to focus on right now. And if you implement that, things will be slightly easier. So when you leave the house, if the dog knows you're leaving, they can tell your routine, we're going to come into a problem because they're already stressed. They're already at a certain level, right? Then you go leave. They're like, oh my God, I don't and then they're panicking by the time you come back. So you get, they get rewarded because they're panicking so much, right? If we can keep them relaxed and calm and comfortable in whatever location they're in, when you go to leave, they're like, oh, nothing's happening. So you have to desensitize them a little bit to where you're going, what you're doing, what's going on, right? So that might mean putting your coat on, taking it off, do nothing. Putting your keys in your pocket, take them out, do nothing. Put your shoes on, take them off, do nothing. Go out the front door, come right back in. I tell people before you go to work in the morning, and this is what my my, my lovely lady does. Uh, she constantly forgets things. So she'll go out to the car, okay? And this is great because one of our dogs used to have separation anxiety. She'd go out to the car. She'd put something in the car. Remember she forgot something. She'd come back into the house, grab that, go back out to the car. Remember that she was supposed to do something. She'd come back in, do that thing, go back out to the car, get all settled, and then realize she forgot her keys. So then she'd come back into the house, grab her keys, and then go back into the house. So what she ends up learning, or what my dogs end up learning, is whenever she leaves, it's not for good. She's coming right back. And so because of that... They don't care when she leaves. They love her. They're excited when she comes home, but they don't care when she leaves. And then when she comes in, same thing. She comes in, she throws a whole bunch of stuff down, but she's got to go get more stuff from the car. So she'll go back to the car, come back in, go back. she'll go past them, she, she, right? So they go, okay, we're just here. Nothing's happening. One caveat to this, the variable reward schedule, which I'm going to be writing a book about the variable reward schedule. It's going to be four times thicker than the dog training cheat codes. So look out for that. I'm going to talk about separation anxiety and how the variable schedule can be against you and for you. So look out for that. That's going to come in the next six months or so. Um, but clearly you want to you want to tackle separation anxiety before then. So if anyone's looking for training, and especially in your case with the separation anxiety, I'd love to help you out. I've worked with separation anxiety before. MatadorK9.com slash six-week coaching. Just schedule a free consultation. We'll talk about what we need to, what the process would look like, and then we can go forward from there. You're welcome. I love educating people, so if you have questions, please put them in the chat. Hormonal fixation. Why are we talking about? What kind of aggression it is when the two intact males just start snarling and barking at each other? That would be inter... Um, oh. Inter-male aggression? Hold on. I don't get that question a lot, and it's not one that I often see. Oh, hold on. <laughs> See how I have my book right here where I can read it? That's the wrong book. 
This is what you guys should have with the dog training cheat codes. This should just be on your desk. Boom. And yes, I will look into Mike. Um, yeah, interpersonal, intermail aggression. Hold on. Is this the wrong book? This is the wrong book, too. Where's my book? Ooh. It's somewhere. It's okay. Well, it's inter it's intermale aggression, and it comes from basically thinking that there's a limited resource in females around, and so they have to fight each other. And it's a social aggression, so they want to establish and maintain the hierarchy of needs. That's kind of how it boils down to. It's a little iffy. Where did you learn all of this? So I had done a lot of research in the beginning of owning a dog, uh, and this is why I ended up writing the dog training cheat codes. The information on the internet isn't there. So you won't find this on the internet. You could look as much as you want. There are a lot more resources now when it comes to information, but there's a lot of misinformation as well. So I learned all of this just from stealing it from different trainers. The more trainers I got around, the more individuals I was able to hang out with for longer periods of time, I could just start talking about stuff. And so I would say, how would you handle this situation that I had my solution for, but how would you handle this situation? They would say, oh, I do this, this, and this. Say, oh, why did you do that one thing? And they'd say, oh, because of this thought process. Oh, well, where'd you learn that thought process? And then they would give me that, and then I would go look it up. And then I would try to study more about it. And then I'd go back to them the next day, and I'd say, hey, I looked more into that. Could you elaborate on this piece of that? Because I wanted to know more about that one piece. And so the more I learned and the more names I got, the more information I was allowed to go look at. But if you're only getting your information from YouTube and Oh, well, I'm going to read that one book and I'm going to see how it like, no, you got, you got to have an open mind and take everything in, but you also have to be able to critically look at it. Oftentimes we just do, oh, well, I'm going to read this book and I'm going to take everything out of this book. That's not how it works. I'm going to take this, I'm going to take this book, I'm going to take this book and I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to read this chapter. And then at the end of the chapter, I'm going to say, okay, do I agree with any of that? Yes. Awesome. I can start to use it. I don't agree with it. Okay, well, what do I agree with? And if I don't agree with it, how could it still help me? Those are the three questions. Do I agree with this? Do I agree with this? If I don't agree with it, why don't I agree with it? And three, if I don't agree with it, how can I implement it still? Implement it anyway. See if it works in your real life. So I encourage you to take advantage of this book, Dog Training Cheat Codes. Intermale aggression, me roaring to break up whatever is happening an instant at the moment. I disagree. I do think this information is available to everyone. It's just hard to know which info. Yes. Yes and no. For me, when I started looking this stuff up, if you type in, I'm going to do it right now. How to train your dog. I go to Google and type in how to train your dog. There are, wait for me to see how many results. I mean, there's over 10 pages on Google, but that's pretty typical. So, right Right from here, pets.webmd.com. Webmd.com, I don't know if that's a reliable source. If you're wondering how to train a dog with a specific behavior, one of the most effective methods is to give them treats, praise, and affection. Most importantly, the best reward to give them is the one that they want the most. They are food-motivated. Treats might work better than praise. This would and should have talked about preference testing. But that's not the goal. We're talking about obedience training for dogs. But when it comes to treats, praise, and affection... The best way to find that out is what's called a preference test. And the only way you would know that 
is if you have studied genetics and chemistry and have a doctorate from, uh, where did you go? Cornell, which is what Dr. McKenzie had, which the book is dedicated to. Because a lot of his information is what I got and what I put in this book. So, to trust in which info to ignore. Yeah, you just gotta, you gotta be able to sift through the stuff. But you don't know that until you know it, right? Like you could read this and go, oh, that'd be great. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use treats, praise, and affection. And you might do that for 10 years. And then someone says, hey, did you ever do a preference test? No, I don't know. I don't know what that is. Oh, well, you should try it. This is what it is. This is why we do it. And this is how it affects the dog and the speed at which we can train. Oh, okay, I'll look into that. Then you look into it. You're like, oh my God, that's fantastic, right? Like if I go to Google and I type in, what is a preference? If I just type in what is a preference point, mayor, assessment, schedule, assessment, ABA, trade agreement, offender, ballot. Let's look at assessment. Preference assessments are procedures used to determine which foods or items are preferred by the learner in order to determine which are likely to work as positive reinforcements. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. And this is a scientific paper. Okay, so unless you're going to go read scientific papers, which the majority of individuals are not, you're not going to know anything about this. Now, I called it a, profess uh, a preference test. I might change it now to professor. Preference. Keep saying preference. Preference assessment. How old are your dogs and who is more skilled? My oldest dog is eight. She lives with my parents. Her name is Breezy. She was the first one I talked about in the beginning of today's live, and she is probably the least skilled. However, if you have whipped cream, she's dynamite, okay? And she actually probably has the best, well, no, I'm not going to say the best recall. She, she has one of the best recalls I've ever seen. She ran out of my front door chasing after a rabbit. I said, Breezy, come. She skidded on pavement, turned around and came right back. Beautiful, beautiful. Beautiful. Almost as good as Bear, the story I told earlier. Tommy has the second best recall, and Hawk has a recall that needs improvement. So, Breezy is eight. Eight and a half now. She'll be turning nine in December. Hawk is seven. Seven years old. That's the Nova Scotia duck tolling retriever. Breezy is a lab pointer. And then I have a five and a half year old Great Dane Border Collie named Tommy. Uh, he is adorable. He is goofy as all hell. But I'd probably say the most skilled, most skilled would be Hawk. The one who listens the most would be Tommy. Put it to you that way. So the one who's most skilled is Hawk because he uh, went with me to work at a facility all the time. And I was teaching a whole bunch of classes and I was doing a bunch of stuff. So he had to learn everything. Tommy has a lot of real life skills and loves looking at you and just being engaged. So he'll listen to anything you say. And, uh, we just haven't done a lot of tricks with him because he's more of a relaxed, lovey, cuddly dog. Hawk wants no part of cuddling you. Hawk, no part of cuddling you. He he, he wants you to throw the ball. He wants you to hang out. Yes, the ducky boy. <laughs> I should get him a, a big old duck to hold on to and he could be the ducky boy. But um, yeah, he he just wants to play. He loves this thing. He loves going in the water. He loves swimming. He also has an issue with his hip. That I've got to be working on. Uh, so he's on fit pause equipment a lot, doing um, uh, stabilizing work. So there's that. Also, in the future, as I, I'm just talking to you guys, 
I'm going to be putting out a fitness course. First, I have to get certified as a certified canine fitness instructor, which I'm working towards at the moment. Then I'm going to put out a fitness course, so I hope you guys stay with me. Uh, you know, that should hopefully be by the end of 2023. That'll be completely done. It's going to be a huge, massive fitness course. So stay with me. Stay up to date with me. And uh, yeah, other questions, comments, concerns, good jokes. I love good jokes. Team Tommy, Team Hawk, love it. No one's Team Breezy? What the hell, guys? <laughs> if you have dogs, can you show them? Uh, they are relaxed in the kitchen. They're just hanging out. Uh, I don't want to get them all excited because when they come into the office, it's usually when we're filming for a course and they just get all crazy. So I don't want to do that. Excitement and focus, right? I want to build up their excitement so they can focus really well. I'm joining that fitness course. Good, good, good. It's good. It burns your dog's energy. It improves their quality of life, right? Because you don't have to go walk 45 minutes. You could do a five-minute fit pause equipment routine. Boom. And maybe I'll even do, uh, I'm just speaking out loud now. So light up the, the hearts if you think this is a good idea. If you signed up for the uh, course, the fitness course, I would throw in fitness equipment. That would be part of your admission for the course. Light it up. Light it up. If you think that's a good idea. 99.9% .9 recall on both Aussie. Nice. I like the guns. Nice. What do you think about 25 mile per hour, 30 minute runs a few times a week? 25 miles an hour is a bit, a bit fast. <laughs> I think. <laughs> uh, although I've never, never intentionally clocked a dog. I would do... If you had a treadmill, I would do a longer run, maybe an hour, at a comfortable speed of like a, tr a trot. They shouldn't be full-on sprinting. Because if you think about it, if a person full-on sprinted, they're putting their body at maximum effort. They're straining everything they possibly can at maximum effort. And then they're stopping and dropping. And then they're running. What's better is to do a long-distance endurance. It's better for health. It's less impact on the joints. So I would say for dogs, it's much better to do long distance. That's what they're kind of designed to do. Yes, some of them go very fast, but they're designed to do long distance more often than not. You know, people should really do long distance as well, but we create those big, massive muscles by running really hard. So depends on what, you know, if, if you're going to be doing agility and you want fast, then long distance would hurt you, right? Because they're going to be strengthening the long muscle fibers instead of the short muscle fibers. So I would much rather want to do uh, quick, fast, mark and reward the speed. Full-on sprint for that long, dogs will blow. Yeah, yeah. It's just a long time. And, uh, like, I've seen dogs who have done things, why would they do that, right? But they've worked up to that slowly, just like people. At some point, they're going to fail, right? At some point, something's going to happen. For example, my dog's hip. We used to play fetch all the time. One day, he was just running, twisted something. His hip's never the same. We can play fetch maybe two times now, and then he's done. But he loves playing fetch. So he's like, I want to keep going, but I can't because my leg hurts. So. My boxer blew his cruciates going full out over extended periods. Not consistently 25 miles for that whole time, but they love to just run and run. That's fine. You know? I would just, I would try to slow it down. Personally, I would try to slow it down. My recommendation would be to try to slow it down. But, you know, I've seen those videos where people are on like four wheelers and the dog's booking it next to them. I think that's dangerous because what happens if the dog cuts in front of you? I think it's, you know, 
But there are clearly dogs that can do that. And dogs that work on farms and are constantly doing that exercise, that's an okay version because that's their daily thing. They run 25 miles an hour every single day. At some point, they're probably going to deteriorate, so you have to be in charge of that. Like, okay, my dog's getting up there in years. Maybe we should slow down. And they'll probably slow down a little bit. But if they're in a group of dogs, they're going to try to keep up. And that's where they're going to get injured. All right, guys. I have a beautiful family to go to, to hang out. I want to thank you for hanging out with me for so long. I appreciate you taking the time and educating yourself. I hope I answered so many of your questions. Oh, my goodness. Now we're getting questions. Do you know any re uh, decent research that's been done on the impacts of early neutering? Um Early neutering will do nothing besides uh, limit your dog's ability to process stress because they lack uh, certain hormones that they need uh, and can cause some uh, problems health-wise. So I would always wait uh, later than vets recommend, but that's, again, my personal opinion. You love to run full out. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. And if you want to take advantage of the dog training cheat codes, the link is in the bio matadorcanine.com slash cheat codes, matadorcanine.com slash cheat codes. Guys, thank you so much. I will see you next time.